Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. And Christian, we are back. Back and better than ever. We took July off like we always do, but August is here, baby, and we are recording podcasts once again. How was your time away, Christian? Are your vocal cords feeling rested and ready to talk about movies for the next 40 to 60 minutes? Are your editing skills refreshed and, and ready to to build great pods for the people out there to listen to? Is your mind a flutter with ideas about the top five films of 2022 so far? You need to run four and a half miles when we're done. Okay, so Christian's got to run four and a half miles when we're done. I'm just going to the grocery store, so I'm making I'm making a run in a way, a grocery run. Really, I just have to get the ingredients I forgot when I was at the store yesterday, but that's neither here nor there, because we're here to talk about movies, and we are going to be discussing our top five films of 2022 so far. As listeners, or I guess regular listeners of the show will know, we always take our July break and then come back to talk about some of our favorites from the year so far. And I really always find this a fun time of the year, not because I am enjoying being away from the podcast. It makes me sad not to be hanging out here talking about movies with the listeners. But it is fun to get to use some time of the year just to focus on 2022 movies, or, you know, last year was 2021, so new releases. Movies that I've been wanting to check out, but just haven't for one reason or another. It's good to get that kick in the butt to actually watch some of these movies. So, Christian, how was the last month specifically for you in terms of catch-up? Did you get to a lot of the movies you missed and that you were hoping to see? I was watching a lot of TV, I'm not gonna lie. I was, <laughs> I, I, cause look, I started off the year with Sundance, I started off the year with a ton of movies that have only just recently come out also. And I, I, I've logged in a good number of movies this year, and so I've, there, there were a couple of things I caught up on. Um, and also, just, it, I, I don't know, there, there weren't a ton of new releases necessarily that I was the most excited to go out and see, despite the fact that I went out and saw them. And, yeah, I'm excited to, I, I, I have a good batch of movies, like, and, and I'm not just, I'm not saying that this is a bad year by any stretch of the imagination, I saw some pretty phenomenal movies this year. Uh, it's, it's much more so a, currently, I... I'm not the most excited about movies that are coming out. And that will change soon, hopefully. But uh, I'm sorry, but when the Minions movie came out, you know, I didn't <laughs> put on my suit, grab my cigar and my whiskey and go see it. Christian, don't lie to the listeners. We were there opening night. You were dressed like Gru. I, your loyal minion, and we sat front row with all of those high schoolers to watch the rise of Gru together. Uh, just kidding. I, I have not seen that, nor have I seen uh, DC League of Super Pets, the other Hot in the Streets animated film coming That's out. the number one movie in the world right Number now. one movie in the world right now, folks. Shout out to all those kids begging their parents to go to the movies one last time before school starts. But we are in a weird part of the year, because August and September, if you go and scan the Wikipedia page for films coming out in 2022 like I do, you then you would know that there's not a lot of big AAA tentpole movies coming out for the next couple of months, but... There are going to be a lot of mid-tier movies, movies that are exciting because of the director or the cast or just have a great concept and could be really good. So there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out, but nothing major. So this is as good a time to check in about the year so far anyway, I think. We've gotten a good balance of big, big mega blockbusters, plus a lot of interesting stuff along the way. So I'm looking forward to diving in and talking about it. 
So we will share our top five lists as we go through the episode here and hopefully get to share some other features like, you know, we'll mention our six through ten at least. Uh, but we have some other things we, we might be able to pepper in here. But Christian, any any preface to the list before we jump right in? Anything you want to mention to the listeners or anything you had in mind as you were forming this list? Not. We, we have one movie that's overlapping, I believe. So because we'll save that, you know what? Let's mention that movie last. I, I feel like it would be appropriate to mention that movie last. Okay. And therefore, jumping in, let's jump in with your number five. Yes, we will jump in with my number five. And I, I will just say, because uh, we're going to have to get to it at some point, Christian's number five is that movie that we share. So we will get to it when we get to it. And we'll start with my number five, which is Emergency. Emergency was a Sundance movie earlier this year, correct, Christian? I saw it at Sundance, yeah. There you go. And it was directed by Carrie Williams, written by K.D. Davila, starring Donald Watkins, R.J. Seiler, and Sebastian Chacon as three college friends and roommates who are getting ready for one big night out of partying. It's about spring break, so the year is starting to wind down, and they're going to make one last memory before suddenly they discover a young woman passed out in their, their home. They have no idea who she is or how she got there, and they're afraid to call the police because all of them are uh, young men of color and she is a white girl. And so they try to solve the situation as best they can, and of course things get complicated along the way. I honestly was catching up with a lot of movies from the year and saw a lot of stuff that was good but not great, a lot of stuff that kind of filled out my... 6 through 10, maybe 11 through 15, but nothing that was really coming close to cracking my top five. And honestly, Emergency is the movie that I watched the most recently that made this list. I really, really enjoyed it, partially on the strength of the performances. I am really growing to like R.J. Seiler. He was in The Heart of They Fall last year, and I thought he was great in that. And Donna Watkins is a really good co-lead as well. Uh, they play Sean and Coonley respectively, and they have a great dynamic between the two of them. And they get to argue a lot about, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a young black man myself, I'm a young white man, but I assume things that are on the mind of, of young black men, kind of how to represent themselves in the world. Uh, Sean is more relaxed in his approach to life, Coonley is more serious about academics, and they get to argue about these things throughout the movie. It also touches on their friendship, kind of regardless of what race they are, obviously, what ethnicity they are. And so I think Williams and Davila do a really good job of not just making an entertaining college movie, because there's a lot of comedy here, some genuinely tense moments, as well as they encounter people who, you know, get in the way of their quest to try to take care of this girl they found passed out in their home, but also just a really strong social movie. I think there's issues on the mind that they touch on really carefully and handle really well. And I think the ending in particular, which I won't spoil, ties it all together pretty neatly. And I, I hesitate to say it's a happy ending uh, because it's not. And I think I, I wish I could talk about it more because it really hit me. And obviously when a movie has a strong ending, it can really seal the deal for you. And that's what it did for me. Like it just had me thinking about it after the movie ended and about where the journey took Kunle and Sean. And so I was a big fan of this one. Definitely recommend you check it out if you haven't had a chance to see it yet. It is streaming on Prime and definitely worth seeking out even if you don't have a membership there. Uh, Christian, for you, any thoughts on Emergency? Uh, my thoughts on Emergency were given in our Sundance episode. That being said... <laughs> <laughs> so go check it out. That, that, that being said, I loved what they were doing here. 
especially in I love the Hispanic dude <laughs> for for because they made so many jokes as to what he looks like versus his lighter skinned cousin, and, <laughs> and and honestly the way that they are playing not just with race but also and 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 perception and ethnicity but also even the um the uh the term that popped up in the beginning obviously was when they were talking about who is black excellence and who is not and and so basically within the race or community you come from if it's an underrepresented one then how it is that you almost exemplify stuff for the entire race and what that means for you yeah it's it's something that i obviously as like as a white person just have not had to think about too much and i don't have a strong i mean obviously even there are plenty of white people in the world who have a strong connection to their ethnic heritage i personally don't and so that's it's something that's new for me to be learning about and i think uh williams and davila what are you talking about you love ohio I do love Ohio, so there you go. Shout out to the great the great state of Ohio. But it's something that they, they weave into this in a really solid way where, like, yeah, sure, there's probably people out there who are going to be like, woke movies ruin Hollywood or whatever. But I think this is a really actually thoughtful examination of young people right now. And, and like you said, how they are trying to live out these multiple identities that, that they carry. And I think Kunle, too, is uh, also interesting because he's the uh, child of immigrants, so he's got a, a very different legacy that he's bur- like carrying on his shoulders when compared to Sean. And even Carlos, who's their other roommate, you know, he has a completely different perspective on things. And like you said... He smokes a lot of weed. <laughs> yes. There's a, lot of, there's a good deal of weed smoked or vaped in this movie. Um, it, but yeah, it's it's just a really interesting movie. And, and, and that girl from Disney Channel's in this? That's right. Sabrina Carpenter. Sabrina Carpenter, yeah. <laughs> Playing Maddie, who is the sister of the, the girl they find in their home, she, and she, she starts to look for her. She's a tough hang in this movie. <laughs> yes, she is. There, There is a moment where uh, she has to give an apology. That's all I'll say near the end of the movie. That's wonderful. Which is like, sums up the comedy of this movie really well, the way that that is handled. Um, but yeah, I, I just found Emergency, I think, basically I think if done poorly, this could have been like the most obnoxious, preachy, in-your-face movie. But they, even when it is trying to be a little bit pedantic and like wear it proudly on its face emotions on its sleeve it's still pretty artfully done so that's my number five would definitely recommend it again it's streaming on prime, prime. christian yeah, go support the poor people of prime <laughs> good old good old jeff bezos really needs our support uh christian let's go ahead and jump to your number four so my number four was directed by mimi cave in her directorial debut and was written by lauren Kahn. It is fresh, and this movie, I think, was big on Twitter for a while. It's on Hulu right now. It's another Sundance movie, and it stars Daisy Edgar-Jones and Sebastian Stan. Uh, so Daisy Edgar-Jones is, let me try to sum up this plot very well, is someone who has not had the best of luck dating, and then runs into Sebastian Stan's character at the grocery store and thinks he's just the dreamiest person ever. Because, you know, it's Sebastian Stan. He's pretty good. Good looking guy. Good looking dude. Um, and they go away for a weekend and she finds out that he has some cannibalistic tendencies. <laughs> As can happen. <laughs> and it gets wild. And... There's there's a lot. So also touched on in the Sundance episode, uh, and th- there's 
I want to point a little bit towards some of the directorial choices, which I think I really thought were stellar. The amount of times the camera focuses in on a piece of meat or just like turns to lips smacking together to like saliva in your mouth. And it's, it's so gross. It's so incredibly, you know, purposefully there to just make you feel queasy as to the entire situation, especially when the, 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 I mean, spoiler alert, in case you didn't get it from the, the summary of the movie, it obviously just one big metaphor for men taking and taking from women. And, and at this point to like the extreme of, let me just grab your body and chop it up and send it to other people so that they can eat it. But also uh, very much so do you remember the uh so daisy's character's friend yeah that is molly and she's molly. played by jonica t gibbs and molly has another the bar the bartender friend and how that that bartender friend is kind of given an arc where he's supposed to be an ally and and what they do with him at the end very much just shows the failure of everyone. Well, it, it, it's quite good social commentary. Fantastic performance by Sebastian Stan. He is really, really good in it, this movie. Really creepy, really unsettling, but you kind of can't resist him. So, Sebastian Stan is something like... Sebastian Stan is my Oscar Isaac. In that <laughs> he, he's taken on... You know, he, he has his major, major Marvel Winter Soldier character, but he's taken on these, like, TV show roles, and he's taken on these smaller movie roles. Even in Devil All the Time, I just loved him in it. There's a creepiness that he likes to tap into, and he likes to use how suave he is. Honestly, Winter Soldier is, like, his purest role. So and I know you've seen this movie recently. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I didn't like it as much as you did. I, I came out mildly positive, uh, this is also my first encounter with Daisy Edgar Jones, who is in Where the Crawdads Sing right now, so she's leading a bigger movie than this. Can I just say something about Where the Crawdads Sing? Fire away, Christian. I don't know what that movie's about. The trailer came out, and I felt nothing. <laughs> and, and I have friends who went and saw it, and they were like, you know, it didn't blow me away, but it was pretty good, and still have no desire to see it. Well, I mean, neither do I. <laughs> I think that sounds pretty reasonable. But... <laughs> A lot of people encountered her and Normal People, which was a, a big streaming hit uh, in 2020, maybe, or 2021. So I, I liked getting to see her as well, but I, I sort of agreed with one of the major criticisms of this movie in that it's kind of a riff on Get Out, and it's hard to match or top Get Out, and to me this felt like a little bit of a, an unfocused version of Get Out for women. Um, I'm give you my hot take, and then I like this slightly more than Get Out. Well, there you go. A little bit of hot take, but... <laughs> I really like Get Out. Uh, so, definitely one that is interesting to check out. I it, it, I did not dislike it, it's just that I didn't kind of... I didn't love the ride the whole way through. Maybe would have uh, <laughs> trimmed out some from the middle, I suppose. I'm trying to find a cannibalism pun there, but I couldn't. But, yeah, Sebastian Stan is really good, and if you're someone who... Is trying to, I guess, familiarize yourself because you like the MCU and you want to see MCU actors and other projects. This is definitely one to check him out, and he's he's really good here. 
uh, and excited for what Lauren Kahn writes next and excited for what Mimi Cave directs next. I will say that. Yeah, for sure. It is always good to get to encounter someone's debut or, you know, one of their early on features. So uh, one of the benefits of streaming, obviously, is that it can bring new voices to uh, becoming readily available. So any final thoughts for you, Christian? No, let's move on to your number four. Alrighty. Fresh is again streaming on Hulu if you want to check it out. My number four is one of the bigger box office bombs of the year, but I saw it in theaters, so it's not my fault. It is Robert Eggers' The Northman. I also saw this in theaters. There you go. Uh, written and directed by Eggers, also written with, I might get this wrong, but Sion, who is an Icelandic poet, novelist, and lyricist, according to his little blurb there. But, of course, The Northman follows Prince Amleth on his quest, because when he is a boy... Amleth? Isn't it Amleth? Prince Amleth. Amleth. Yes. Who, when he is young, his uncle betrays his father, kills him, kidnaps Amleth's mother, and runs off to become the king of the kingdom. And I will and, avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. I will kill you, Fjörner. That's right. I will kill you, Fjörner. And oh, that, Fjörner, right. Yes. Not, not Fjörner. Who's Hitler? Fjörner, yes. <laughs> uh, and that becomes the mantra that young Amleth... Repeats to himself as he grows into a full Viking man. And I gotta say, The Northman was basically everything that I wanted it to be. (laughs) It was a big, violent Viking epic that was also super weird and a little mystical and kind of crazy. And I just totally dug it. I'm really sad that this movie did not do as well as they were hoping. It had a big old budget and they put every single dollar to use. It looks beautiful. A lot of it is shot on location in uh, what I assume is Nordic (laughs) scenery, but may not be. Um, But Alexander Skarsgård plays the adult Amleth, and he is giving this very unique performance in terms of normal performances that we see in big action movies like this, where he is really tapping into the animalistic impulses of the Vikings. And there are scenes in the movie where they explicitly bring this out, like these men gather around to howl at the moon before battle, or how just how violent they get with their enemies. We see the ways that this brings out these like base instincts that de- almost denies the humanity of, of not only the people they're killing, but themselves. And Skarsgård just embodies that. And someone who comes into his life who is an extreme counter to that is Anya Taylor-Joy, who is, of course, playing Olga of the Birch Forest, who is this young sorceress that he falls in love with, and she tries to bring out this this tender side of him, and that is kind of the dynamic in their relationship. But the Northmen, obviously, with being a big action Viking epic, it just, it touched on a lot of, I don't know, it it made me very happy watching this movie. There's not only, it doesn't not only look beautiful, have these interesting performances, but it's also just a very dynamically shot film. I can still think and recall some of the action sequences to mind, even though I haven't seen this since I saw it in theaters way back in April. So this one that made a big impression on me that I enjoyed quite a bit. And all the way up to that final epic fight in the volcano, which you Naked. just gotta love. <laughs> That's right. So, Christian, any thoughts for you on The Northman? So, I have a question. Do you think I like this movie or did it? I, you are, one thing I love about you, Christian, is you are unpredictable when it comes to movies. <laughs> Unless it's like one of your favorites, like Christian Bale can do no wrong in your eyes. And oh, I, I respect no. that about yeah. you. Love Love and Thunder. In terms of uh, in terms of enjoying The Northman, I honestly couldn't say because I think you like a nicely well made movie, but you also lean heavily on writing as as a writer yourself. You love well written movies, 
And The Northmen doesn't lack for writing, but it is telling a somewhat standard revenge tale. It's basically Hamlet, and if you literally take the H from Hamlet and move it to the end, you get Amleth, which is his name. So it's like, it's what inspired that Shakespearean play. So I'm going to go like mild yes. That's my leaning for you, Christian. I did really like this movie. Okay, there we go. It did. I mean, it's in my 6 through 10. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, and I, I have... People who normally have tastes that agree with mine disliked this movie because they they understood that it was a very plot-driven movie, but they didn't know what the point was. And to that I say, I think the point was to be epic, and it succeeded in that. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some stupid parts to this movie. There are, there, there, there are decisions that are made that I don't know why they're made, and yet, oh man, the primalness of Alexander Skarsgård the only other person I can think of who could have played this role is Tom Hardy. Because they're both just slabs of meat who are trying to do something. No, yeah. They but, can... I mean, Tom Hardy, he he gets a lot weirder than Skarsgård usually does. Like, he, he'll put on a weird voice and he'll be, you know, he'll he'll twitch around and be... Oh, no. Himself. It's almost like he was made for a Viking movie. Whew. I mean, I don't but, know. Venom is pretty oh, different from a Viking. <laughs> Venom's great. Venom's great. Anyway, so, highly enjoyed this movie. I thought the visual effects were stunning just stunning yeah really great employment of effects here where they don't dominate or take over the movie but they perfectly complement it whenever they're brought in how can you it's it's just it's a movie that makes you realize that marvel has no excuse for bad visual effects it's like when you are given like a fifth of the budget and it's still the most money robert eggers has ever had but, um, no, really loved how plot-driven this was, uh, and the performances all around. Ethan Hawke, Anya Taylor-Joy, I mean, Nicole Kidman. Banger after banger, yeah. I mean, Nicole Kidman also really tapping into that. I, there, There's a couple moments in here where she reveals aspects of her character that we weren't expecting, and she really taps into an almost sinister side of herself. It's, in, it's incredible to watch. She gets one just really, like... <laughs> She won't get nominated for an Oscar for this, but it's what they would put up on the clip if, if she did. Yeah. And yeah, both her and Ethan Hawke don't have a ton of screen time, but they are they are very, very good here. As is Willem Dafoe, playing, of course, Hymir the Fool. I mean, these character names are legendary. And we'll, we'll also mention Clace Bang, who is, or maybe Bang, who is the, the uncle. He is the Fjolnir that is, uh, who is, who Emleth is seeking to kill. Uh, just great performances all around. Everybody's bought into this epic Viking vision and absolutely worth seeing if you did not get a chance to see it yet. Mm-hmm. It is not yet streaming anywhere, but you can probably rent it a variety of places. Oh, 100%. And Christian, I now pass it to you for your number three. My number three, written and directed by Cooper Rife. It was our favorite Sundance movie this year. So I feel like I'm just stating Sundance movies at this point. A lot of Sundance love so far. I mean, I didn't participate in even one of those movies made it out of my list. So <laughs> a lot of Sundance so far. Uh, cha-cha real smooth. So Cooper Rives follow-up to Shithouse. And I saw this at Sundance. I managed to see a pre-screening of it at UCLA. And where I met him, where I was able to meet Cooper and I got a picture with him. I think I sent you that picture, right? I believe you did. Yeah. So he is just a personal hero of mine. He is my favorite filmmaker as of right now who has debuted in the 2020s, who makes, he makes movies about guys who are at the, yep, there, yep, there, he's holding a water bottle for some reason. Cooper will be with us for this portion of the show. I've pulled up the photo just to inspire Christian and bring him joy. Thank you. Thank you for putting it next to my crowler, which is currently empty of alcohol. (laughs) No, so... 
Yeah, I don't know why he's holding up that water bottle. He seems like a he seems like a really weird dude, but I uh, he makes movies about guys who are at the tail or who are in college age and either in college or right out of college who don't know what to do with their lives and love their mothers. Those are the movies. <laughs> those are the movies that he makes. And he I feel like uh, one of my friends wrote this or maybe it's maybe it's a critic that I follow. It's like Cooper Rife's goal seems to be to break characters where the goal is to like Cooper Rife and it works. And he just seems like the most charismatic individual, whatever he acts on screen. So um, Dakota Johnson is here. But okay, I haven't mentioned what the plot of this movie is. He plays a 22-year-old who was fresh out of college. His girlfriend moves to Spain and he ends up moving back home where he gets a job selling hot dogs. Uh, he works at Meat Sticks. Christian. Meat Sticks. That is the name Sorry. of the very real fast food joint that he works at. Ends up working at Meat Sticks and then goes to a, a, either a bar or a bat mitzvah with his um, brother and kind of, be, I don't know, helps start that party up by, by getting people to actually go on the dance floor and gets hired as a party stop starter for the the jewish families there and so he's constantly um going around to different bar and bat mitzvahs and getting people to dance and, and like djing basically it's like a, the, a fancier dj thing but it's a very, very real thing in the jewish community um and he meets dakota johnson who is a 32 year old mother of lola an autistic girl who's in his younger brother's grade and just develops a friendship and a kinship with both of them where she herself, Domino, who's the Dakota Johnson character, in, is in her own state of transition. He is in his own state of transition and how they kind of develop a romantic relationship. That That's, that's interesting to just watch as both of them want to go down the path that is best for them. You saw this movie yesterday, Sunday? It is the most recent movie that I have watched. I watched it last night, knowing it was on your list, and that I would have to see it so that we could intelligently talk about it. So yes, watched it recently. What? I love this movie, but what are your thoughts? My my thoughts might get me beat up because... You didn't like it. It's not that I didn't like it. I, I feel very let down by a major aspect of the movie that limited a lot of my enjoyment of it. I, I like a lot of it. I laughed a lot. There's a lot of good jokes here. And Cooper Rife, you know, I, I'm i not sure which which job he is most proficient at because he, of course, is writing, directing, and acting here. But he has a lot of really good chemistry with some of the other actors that he casts. I really like him in Evan Asante, who plays his brother David. I really like him with Vanessa Burkhart, who plays Lola. And this is um, Vanessa's debut performance as well. Uh, really, really well done. And, and she is um, she is actually autistic, so always great to see, um, you know, not casting someone and making them do a bunch of ticks or performance choices, but rather actually casting someone who understands what it's like to be autistic. Great to see that. But the thing that sunk this movie for me, and again, I would recommend it, mildly positive here, uh, is that I just think he and Dakota Johnson have no chemistry. That is false. And that is false. Worse than that, <laughs> I think he gives her. I think their conversations are often just poorly written and do not flow very well. And maybe it's wow. Yeah. And so 
I, I like so much about this movie, but the fact that this relationship is so key to the overall story just really sunk it for me. And I don't even think she's giving that good of a performance either. And that, I, that's I, not I, even a hot take. Like, I, it, 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 that, for me, like people yeah. think that the best part of this movie is their relationship. Yeah, so I, I'm a little bit loco, I guess. But I yeah, it was really hard for me. And and honestly, I don't I don't know if I were to rewatch it if I would think differently. I picked up on this one thing. Maybe you'll laugh about this because I wonder if you noticed it. But Cooper Rife, I literally watched a, a clip of him being interviewed on a talk show to see if this is from real life or if he was affecting it for the character. But has this thing where he pronounces the T's if the T is at the end of the word. So he doesn't say that. He says that. Or he, he won't say quiet. He says quiet. And like, it makes it sound like... I have noticed that. I have. <laughs> it just like, it was like nails on a chalkboard for me once I picked up on it. And... So you I just hate speech patterns. I, I might just hate speech patterns. Um, but I don't know. Like, again, it, it's not that I think he's a bad actor. Because I think he really has great chemistry with a lot of the other people in the cast. And it's not that I think he's a bad writer. Because I think okay. even though he's he's younger than me, which is frustrating, <laughs> you know? You see? I think that this, like, overall, this is a, a decently structured movie. I think he's getting at some good elements of uh, just, like, a young person's life in, in 2022. And I really like that he's playing a sensitive young man on screen. Uh, I, I really think that he... I don't know. I just think that's great that he's he's writing himself characters like that. Like people who are vulnerable. And not like neurotic and weird. But, but actually just like vulnerable real people. Um, I just could not get into the relationship with him and Dakota Johnson. And it frustrated me okay. to no end. So let me, let me say this to everyone who's debating whether or not to watch it. Watch it because I love this relationship and other people do too. And you there should. are... You should, people. Just do it. <laughs> and, and, and I would say that I have criticisms about the movie as well. Like, there are five endings to this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's got a little bit of an ending problem because there's moments where you're like, oh, this is a good moment to end. No, there's a little bit more. I'm like, oh, this is a good moment to end on. No, oh, no, 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 a minute. Okay. <laughs> but um, I, I, I do think Dakota Johnson is doing amazing work here. I think he's doing incredible work here. And we, I think we know too much about director-actors who are actors that became very, very, you know, famous enough to direct their own movie, and then they took a stab at writing something, but they want to be known as, like, a good director, not necessarily a good writer. This is a dude who's starting up doing everything, and and I admire that because I think that you get that sense of this is a guy who's still figuring some stuff out, and that's not a bad thing. And, and to me, it's not even a fault of the movie. I think it's cool. It gives it a freshness. It's like youthful energy that's exuding off of the screen, and I he's he is one of my favorite actors to watch right now. Actors, um, writing wise, I love what he does writing wise because it always makes me smile, and, and to find a guy who can consistently make me smile whenever he makes a movie. There are directors who I love, but I'm not smiling at their movies. Um, I'm I'm like, oh that 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 was a lot. Like I, <laughs> that was a lot. But no, it. He has a pension for a fielded movie, and he has a movie that he's going to start filming soon with, you You sent it, with David Harbour and Cooper's last name. He's, he's Cooper. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the, no the, guy isn't, the guy who's acting in it is Cooper something, because it, it's, it's uh, Cooper Hoffman. Oh, that's right. Cooper Hoffman from Licorice Pizza, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, yeah. 
So Cooper Hoffman and David Harbour have been pegged to be in his next movie called Just a Thrashers. legitimately combo or a legitimately exciting combo of actors. So I'm I'm excited to see what he does when he steps behind the camera fully. I don't know if he has a part in this movie or not, but um, yeah. That's Cha Cha Real Smooth, available now on Apple TV+. Plus. I will say, although I had a pretty muted reaction to this, I would still be really interested to watch Shithouse, his debut. Oh, it's wonderful. Just because I heard really, really good things, and I think what he's getting at here, I, I like, appreciate, and I'd be willing to watch more of it, even if I, like, I could see myself enjoying a movie of his. I think this one, the, the relationship between Domino and Andrew just kind of didn't work for me, but... Who knows? Maybe Shithouse would work better. Shithouse would definitely be, if we redid our 2020 list, it would be in the top five. Actually, I feel like if I rewatched it, I might give it five stars. Shithouse. It's so good. Anyway. There you go. I digress. Give me your number three. My number three, as we continue in a, a certain trend here, <laughs> is The Batman, which of course was written and directed by Matt Reeves. I uh, the, the name of the other co-writer is escaping me, so I'll look it up. Of course, starring Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne and Batman, as he is in year two of his Gotham project, as he is trying to reel in the crime in the city, and of course is forced to stop the Riddler, as the Riddler enacts a sociopathic plan to systematically kill public-facing Gotham officials and even potentially damage the whole city. Uh, the other co-writer that I failed to mention was Peter Craig. Um, so I really enjoyed the Batman when it first came out. And I think I had some problems as we discussed it on this show. We have a full episode devoted to it, which we won't spend too much time talking about here. But if, uh, I have some concerns at the length because it is almost a three hour movie and that can be a bit of a grind, but watching it again, because my wife wanted to see it. So we went to see it together. Watching it again, honestly, allayed some of those concerns because I was just fully in on the ride. Now that I knew what I was expecting... Sometimes it limits the surprise factor and it makes a movie not hit as hard as the first time. And for me, I enjoyed it even a little bit more the second time around. Uh, I, I really, really love the visuals and the aesthetic of this movie. I wish that every superhero movie had the gumption to be this visually dynamic. Although I, I know they can't all be... I don't, I don't want them all to look like the Batman. I just want... you know I want directors to be given the opportunity to stylistically flex when they're adapting these comic book characters. I think there's so much you can do with a comic book character. And when studios who were already throwing a bunch of money at these things give a director the time to make something that is actually distinctive, I think the results often pay off. And... The Batman is the latest example of that. I think Pattinson is an incredible Bruce Wayne, incredible eye acting from him behind the cowl in this movie. Love Paul Dano as the Riddler. Love the supporting cast here. And I am just very, very excited to see where the Pattinson edition of Batman goes. And I think Matt Reeves has definitely um, like sealed his spot on one of my favorite working director's lists. I, I love his Planet of the Apes movies. I love the Batman, and I gotta watch Cloverfield because I still haven't seen Cloverfield. Cloverfield. <laughs> Wait, so the, the first Cloverfield, right? The first Cloverfield, which yes. is wonderful. <laughs> Here you go. So if somehow you did not see the Batman yet, it is streaming on HBO Max, and I mean probably still showing at a theater somewhere. But definitely check it out if you are a if you have somehow missed the Batman. Maybe you're resistant to the hype. Just check it out. I think it'll be worth your time. Christian, anything you want to add on the Batman? I thought it was too long, which is, you know, the, and I, I, I mean, I like it. It's definitely a directorial accomplishment. The screenplay to me at times is lacking. 
and, and, and I wanted it to be slightly more cohesive. And, and maybe this is the huge point of contention for, um, that, that you would disagree with. Zoe Kravitz was not a big fan of what they did with her character in the screenplay. Weak sauce, Christian. Just weak sauce. I thought her performance was good. I thought her, the way that they wrote her in was not. But that's honestly, like, I like Matt Reeves. I don't love Matt Reeves. I like War of the Planet of the Apes. I don't love it. So so I'm excited to, honestly, I would want to see dramas that he does and, and how he incorporates grittiness into dramas. And I know he does has them. I have not seen them. And so I'm excited. <laughs> I'm, 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 I, I would check one out. He's, he's got a really funny career because outside of the movies we mentioned in Cloverfield, he also directed Let Me In, which is a horror movie remake starring young Cody Smith McPhee and Chloe Grace Moretz. Uh, but his other movies, one is called Future Shock that I, I mean, I don't think anybody has seen this. It's got three directors attached to it. And then one is The Pallbearer, which is a I've romantic comedy, I think, starring David Schwimmer during Friends, as well as Gwyneth Paltrow, which just, what a what a movie <laughs> to have in your repertoire. So he's definitely made a, a big pivot into genre fare, I think probably for the best. Moving on, Christian, let us get your number two, which, I, as I gather, is the most recent movie you watched that was released this year. Yes, so I saw this Sunday night. It is 13 Lives. So directed by Ron Howard, written by William Nicholson, who the most famous movie William Nicholson probably wrote is Gladiator. Yes. Uh, but Ron Howard directed Rush, directed Apollo 13, directed How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the live-action one. A beautiful Mind. Beautiful He's mind. a Best Director winner. He is a Best Director winner, multiple nominee, Hillbilly Elegy from a couple years ago, which people hate, yeah. and I think is not awful. <laughs> I don't think that movie is awful, but it is a <laughs> it, it's it's a detailed account of the 2018 Thai cave rescue where 12 um, young Thai soccer players and their coach, so the 13 lives, got stuck in a cave. One day after they went into it and um, monsoon season hit, so it started flooding. And it uh, details the divers who came in to try and, and get them out. And basically the combined efforts of the different Thai people in diverting water and to getting the materials once they found them. And, and to, to seeing how to best help these young people get out of there alive because once they found them in the cave guess what they're not professional divers so how do they get them out it's really cool it, it's it, and i i was fascinated because this is an mgm movie acquired by amazon will be available the day that this episode comes out you can see it on prime and it got the highest test screenings out of any movie in mgm history now vigo mortensen and colin farrow play the two divers who helped like do this rescue and they are phenomenal and i think honestly this is a movie that puts a smile on your face and there's a trend in my movies and that there aren't a lot of feel bad movies all of them are joyful kind of escapades absolutely looking at your list 100 percent true fresh is maybe the exception fresh is the exception but yes. it has its moments has its <laughs> and i it was it does something similar to what Top Gun Maverick did this year, in where Ron Howard shows you how difficult it is to 
dive through 2,500 meters again and again of cave and then dive 3,000 meters again and again and the path that they need to take and where they are along that path. And he shows you the, 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 um, how difficult the mission is, really driving that home so that when you get to the part where it's not practice anymore, it's actually trying to get the kids out. It's incredibly just satisfying. It's a docudrama in one of the best forms. It really incorporates the Thai people beautifully. It, it, to me, it does not feel like a white savior movie. And, 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 you know, it couldn't really because, like, actually British people came into Thailand in order to save these kids. But there's this one scene, and this is the only scene I'm going to spoil for you because I know I, I know you haven't seen it. There's this one scene where they are diverting water away in order to make conditions better for the divers to go into them. And where they would divert the water is these rice crops. And the farmers of these crops, like the, the crops would be ruined. And they ask them, so our crops are going to be gone? And they say yes. And then they ask them, but will it save the boys? And they go, honestly, we don't know. It might help. And then they allow them to destroy their crops in order to save these children. It's just wonderful, honestly. Just, it, it's a very moving movie in a way that is not really emotionally manipulative to me and just a great a great sense of like human spirit human camaraderie saying guess what the world isn't going to hell <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I what are I know you haven't seen it but do you have plans to, I don't know if you have plans to see it or if you have any Honestly, interest in the movie it's an interesting test case just in sort of the business of Hollywood and in, in, in marketing because I barely had any idea this movie was coming out. Uh, I feel like I've seen maybe a couple tra like a trailer recently or started to hear about it because the release date is coming close. But normally, this is a movie that gets saved for the end of the year. Big Ron Howard is attached. He's an Oscar winner. Viggo Mortensen is attached. He's an Oscar nominee. Colin Farrell, I think Oscar nominee at some point, maybe. I don't think so. Don't think. Okay, but even even so, big name, uh, big like you said, triumph of the human spirit. People of international communities coming together to save lives. That's the kind of movie that gets saved for the end of the year. They make a big awards push, and for whatever reason, like even though despite it had great test screenings, great audience feedback from early on, Amazon once they acquired MGM is just kind of dumping this out in late summer. And maybe their play is is that they want to be kind of that big hit that comes out in August after some of the superhero stuff has kind of come out and, and you know started to fizzle out. But with it hitting Prime the same day, who knows? So I'm I'm probably going to check it out because of how much you enjoyed it, honestly. And, and you've given me more excitement for this movie than the good people at Amazon or MGM have. So definitely curious to check it out now. And that is 13 Lives. Anything else you wanted to add before we move on? No, let's move on to your number two. My number two is a little movie called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It is directed by Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan, otherwise known as Daniels, and stars Michelle Yeoh, Ki-Hoi Kwan, Stephanie Su, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, follows uh, Michelle Yeoh's Evelyn as she tries to get her family together for a presentation at the IRS. They are needing to um, get some taxes and, and payments sorted out to keep their business open. Their business is a laundromat. And there is tension in the family. Um, they've brought her grandfather from China to come live with them. And there's 
uh, Stephanie, Sue, plays Joy, their daughter, and she uh, is struggling because she's trying to introduce her girlfriend to the family, but her mother has never been fully accepting of her sexuality. And Waymond, who is the father, played by Ki Huai Kwan, is struggling because he is about to hand Evelyn divorce papers. And in the midst of all of this family drama, Evelyn gets introduced to the multiverse. She is told by an alternate uh, multiversal form of women that there is a multiversal monster, I mean, a person, a villain, coming for them, trying to find her and kill her because she is the key to saving the multiverse. And so Evelyn, in the midst of all of her interpersonal drama, has to start jumping from time, or not jumping from timeline to timeline, so to speak, but using the skills of her alternate selves to survive this villain and her minions coming to destroy her and hopefully save the multiverse and her laundromat along the way. This is a movie that, as it came out, received just an enormously positive reception from film critics, from people in the industry, from fans and cinephiles. And my excitement been, like built and built and built as I was hearing all of the good things about it. I finally got to go see it, and it blew me away. I... I love this movie, and I'm really mad at myself that I haven't taken the time to go see it again, just because I wanted to support it. It became A24's first movie to surpass $100 million globally, which of course is a, a huge mark for A24. And I wish that I could have seen it again. I've got to just rent it, maybe from Redbox or from Amazon or something, and watch it again, because it just, it touched me in a very, uh, you know, a, a very deep place. Uh, I think, obviously, if you listen to the show and you know me and my tastes, you know that I love these kinds of Big, silly sci-fi spectacles. I love a good action movie. The Batman is on my list. <laughs> like, I love these kinds of stories. And not only did the Daniels team here make a just a really satisfying, like, multiversal, wacky sci-fi story, but there is real, genuine human heart and emotion at the center of this tale. And I think they do just a wonderful job of... Uh, portraying Evelyn, and, and this is one of Michelle Yeoh's, like, her best performances that I've personally seen. Uh, obviously, she's made movies around the world, she's been a movie star for a long time, but um, just exciting to get to see a woman of her age who normally is uh, ushered out of major productions like this, or, I mean, again, this is actually an indie movie, so not even a big major studio production, who's normally ushered out, get to be put front and center. Uh, Kihoi Kwan, who most people will know as Short Round from Indiana Jones, or as one of the, the kids from The Goonies, he comes back after a long hiatus of acting to give this incredible performance as a, you know, a, a middle-aged father who's struggling in his marriage and trying to make things better for him and his family. Um, and Stephanie Sue, who a lot of people might know from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is where I first encountered her, is honestly maybe the best thing about this movie. And her, Wait, is she the girlfriend? She is May, who is the girlfriend yes, of Joel Maisel. Little spoiler for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, seasons three and four. Um, but she is so good to this movie, and honestly one of the keys to it, because she is not only talented at uh, the dramatic side and the emotional heart of this, uh, the story, but she also gets to be funny and sarcastic and witty and gets to engage both um, aspects of, of her strengths there. So the story that is told, especially when it comes to this mother-daughter story between Evelyn and Joy as they seek to understand each other and save the multiverse while they do it, uh, just it really tugs on the heartstrings. And the fact that they're doing it all in this gonzo sci-fi movie is so awesome. Uh, I want to say a little bit more about the multiverse in particular, Christian, but first I want to pass it back to you. Any thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once? I really, really liked it. I think that the, the meaning... The nihilistic 
weirdly the, the, the everything bagel I will everything bagel I wasn't a huge fan of. <laughs> I, I the key like, symbol, of course, in this movie is an everything bagel. <laughs> it, it's, it's, I, I think that it loses itself at the end. That being said, I don't know if this is what you were going to say about a multiverse. It's nice to see a multiverse movie where the multiverse is just like, what if the Beatles broke up earlier or never <laughs> broke up? Yes. But they're actually doing like, what if we had hot dogs for fingers? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what I really enjoyed about it that it said we're gonna go for a fascinatingly giant concept and they executed it very well also michelle yo is just one of my favorite she's, actresses I mean, she's amazing in this movie in particular she can do no wrong amazing in general yes but she's amazing here the yeah the multiverse side of this of this movie is ridiculously fun especially when no offense to marvel but marvel has not been exactly uh, mind-blowing with their usage of the multiverse in their recent projects but but it's a universe where instead of going on green you go on red <laughs> i know i know i know um but where multi- or marvel typically relies on alternate incarnations of the same characters in the multiverse of course there are some there's more to it than that but that's typically what they rely on you know a, a multiverse where instead of captain america we got captain carter Everything Everywhere All at Once is able to lean into these truly ridiculous alternate realities. One where, of course, people have hot dogs for fingers, and we see <laughs> Michelle Yeoh's character in a, a loving relationship with Jamie Lee Curtis's character, who is the tax agent who's trying to you know, bring the hammer down on her business in the, the main timeline of the movie. We see her and Waymond in love or not in love, depending on the timeline. And there's one in particular where Evelyn became a movie star, and she runs into Waymond in, in this timeline. And they have an exchange that has become Twitter famous at this point. And I honestly don't want to spoil it because hopefully you're not like me and terminally online. And if you haven't seen this movie, it's genuinely touching. Uh, so I, I want you to be able to experience that. But they have a moment of connecting uh, in this reality where they have not been together like they have been in other realities. And they get to reflect on what could have been. And it's, it's, thing, it's choices like that in the multiverse that I think make this movie satisfying, not just in like a fun way, but also in a, in a moving and you know, human story way. Plus, I think the action here is also just legitimately well done. There's a lot of really good fight sequences, uh, just great choreography, really fun to watch. Um, in particular, uh, Kihoi Kwan gets a moment with a fanny pack that he uses as his melee weapon. Um, yeah, this is just such a really fun time at the movies. One that will also tug your heartstrings. There were I gotta one recommend it. too many dildos. Um, you know, Christian, some might say there are one too few. So I'll leave that up to the listeners as they explore it for themselves. <laughs> uh, one final shout out for this movie, but Grandfather is, uh, he's played by James Hong, who is absolutely somebody you will recognize. He is a Hollywood legend, uh, just in that he has been around Hollywood for so long. He is, he's very old, but you'll recognize him because he's been in so many movies. His voice has appeared in animated movies all over the place. And so just want to give a quick shout out to James Hong as well. Uh, man, there's so much more I could say about this, but gotta keep moving. So everything, everywhere, all at once is most likely rentable. It's not quite, it's not streaming anywhere yet to the best of my knowledge, but please check it out if you get the chance. Now, Christian, it's time for your number one movie of 2022 so far. And I have to be completely honest. I know you love this movie and still seeing it at number one blew my mind. (laughs) So... Fire away. What's your number one? Marcel the Shell with shoes on. 
Written by Dean Fleischer Camp, Jenny Slate, and Nick Paley. Directed by Fleischer Camp. It is a story of a shell who has shoes. That are on. That are on. <laughs> his name's Marcel, voiced by Jenny Slate. He lives with his grandma, who's also a shell. Uh, what, what? Nana Coney? Nana Coney, yeah. Nana Coney. In, in, in a house that Fleischer Camp, playing himself, I believe, playing Dean, um, is is airbnb for a little while. And he and Nana Connie are have learned to live as just two shells because the previous couple who owned this house got into a fight. And one of them, the, the dude, when he left, took the shells with him by accident. And now they're just trying to survive. And Flasher Cam starts to make a documentary about Marcel. And Marcel doesn't know why. And they're trying to... It's wonderful. Okay, let me. Um, the it, it's really weird to explain this plot. <laughs> the 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 plot is not something that you normally. Um, that that's the interesting part about this movie. Although, if you were to talk about this plot, it, it's very much so a a how Dean learns to interact with Marcel and Nana Connie. But the theme of this movie is is much more so a learning to be content with what you have and then the fear of losing it. So it's kind of a search for Marcel's family, but not really. It's kind of a how to get Dean to actually have a relationship, but not really. It's kind of Nana Connie urging Marcel to let go of the past, but not really. And it's incredibly fun. It, it's the funniest movie I have seen this year. It features a moment that I have I have not laughed harder in a theater in years. Uh, it, it just made me crack up laughing. Was it the peace scene? It, it sure was, Christian. <laughs> which was which is just wonderful. So this, I why I put it at number one. It took a second. I gave it five stars. It took a second because I went home and I thought that was unexpected. To, to have walked out of this movie and have felt this way. To, to, to have loved it so much because it, it brings a smile to your face the same way that many of my movies have for this list. And also, I'm caring about a shell with shoes. That's what this movie made me care about. And it made me invested in the story. And it made me be happy when Marcel was happy. And it made me feel introspective when he was upset. And it was so lovely, a breath of fresh air, especially as one, the cinematography is beautiful and it's mainly just capturing a house. It's just a house and what's outside of this house and, and, and the, the, the tree outside of it and the bleed, like the grass next to it. It's unbelievable how good this movie looks when 90% of it is shot in the same location. And I couldn't understand that i was so impressed by that but it wasn't just that it's also it in such a limited scope makes you love like a tennis ball makes you love the sensation of of honey it makes you love the idea of of a fly or i mean a bee i think who can't see it and keeps crashing against it, it makes you love a a what what's a craisin <laughs> and I thought movies have very 
the the other example I can think of is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Have felt so have never felt so effortless to just sit back and enjoy. That that's that's why I love this movie. I I I think honestly my I, I feel so many of the same things that you said. Maybe it's not as hard, although I would strongly recommend this movie especially if you were a fan of the original marcel the shell with shoes on shorts that were put on youtube did you see any of those before going in not one so christian now you got to take the the 10 minutes and and watch them (laughs) because they are there's some jokes that they repeat from them but they're they're really fun otherwise but yeah i just one of those movies too that is blows you away and it's it's how it finds ambition in a very small package. And and not just in that Marcel the shell is a very small shell, but it's mostly shot on one location. Almost entirely with three actors, because we have Jenny Slate as Marcel, Isabella Rossellini as Nana Connie, and Dean Flesher Camp playing himself. Almost entirely as a voice from behind the camera, he appears very sparingly in front of the camera. Just where it's able to go, and it's... Uh, it's emotional ambitions, like you said. Uh, Very, very thoughtful and thought-provoking, and it gets you thinking about yourself and your own place in the universe, which I absolutely was not expecting from the Marcel Duchel movie. And, of course, the way... I mean, it's just... It's so funny along the way, too. It's irresistible, and especially if you are... This seems like it's going to become a movie that people put on when they're having a bad time, Uh, when they're going through it in life. It's going to be one of those. Just really warm, cuddly movie that is so easy to love. Um, plus, it just the the filmmaking here on display is is really top notch, and not just in uh, you know shooting in this one location, but a lot of great work with the you know miniatures, the stop motion miniatures that Marcel is usually played by a real uh, you know figure, um, but also some of the the VFX that they incorporate as well. Uh, just very very well done on all accounts. Uh, Jenny Slate's performance as Marcel is a, a really, really excellent vocal performance as well. Um, Got to say too, Christian, this this movie—I don't want to give any spoilers away—but there is a an unbelievably affecting moment that uh, leads a character out of the film. I won't say who or or what or why, but I, I just like could not believe what I was watching. <laughs> like, uh, it involves a poem. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you yes. with that. Um, just like, again, just moments like that that remind you, like, this is not just like, oh, this is a cute, fun little, you know, no, novelty. This is, this is a real, genuine work of art. So, <laughs> absolutely recommend Marcel the Shell if you have not seen it either. It's your pick, Christian. So, anything you want to add before we move on? I, I mean, no, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a movie that especially after the hard times that have that people have gone through the past couple of years it's just it's just nice to have um all right let's hit your number one which is my number five that's right we finally come all the way around some good synchronicity here uh and if you are a listener of this podcast you know there's a movie that we covered that came out this year that i lost my mind about that i've not mentioned yet and if you are expecting it to show up you are absolutely correct. My number one movie and Christian's number five is Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> and who baby? Uh, another movie that I was able to see again in theaters and had almost the exact same impact on me. <laughs> um, I was just utterly blown away. I, I was expecting to enjoy my time with Top Gun Maverick. Was not expecting to be as just knocked on my, my butt uh, as I was by the quality of the filmmaking. And... Also, the the genuinely good Tom Cruise performance at the center of it all. I think he and his collaborators here, of course, director is Joseph Kaczynski, 
and writers, there's a few of them, but Aaron Christopher Kruger, McQuarrie is Aaron one of them. Kruger, Christopher McQuarrie, and one other name that I will find. But just blown away at the the thoughtful story they produced here. Um, the other writer is Justin Marks and uh, Peter Craig showing up again, and Eric Warren Singer. I forgot there was that many writers. Uh, but this is just a, an incredible way to do IP in Hollywood and to do a legacy sequel like this. Almost every single one is a cash grab and. To some extent, Top Gun Maverick is it's a known quantity commodity. It, sure, it's a bit of a cash grab, but the um, just maniacal sincerity of Tom Cruise to make sure that we are actually getting up into jet planes. We are recording ourselves riding or flying these planes, and we're going to make a damn good action movie, or we are going to die trying. That, that spirit is woven throughout this movie. Um, really, really love not just uh, the return of Maverick, but also the return of Iceman, Val Kilmer getting to play... Uh, great scene across from Cruise that really captures some of the themes here of aging, of moving on, of legacy, and, and reflecting on your life. And I think we talked a little bit about it on the episode, but I love looking at it through the angle of Cruise as a movie star too, as he's, he's sort of working out his own demons through this movie, reflecting on his own career and his own unwillingness to back down against new challenges, better technologies. It's all about the man in the box. Um, I have more to say that I will throw out Christian, but Anything that you want to add about Top Gun Maverick, your number five movie of the year, which I almost wasn't expecting because we had, we were texting recently and I was being overly dramatic about how good Top Gun was and you uh, calmed me down a little bit. So <laughs> I think I misinterpreted that in terms of how you kind of stacked it up against other movies this year. No, it, it's wonderful because it, it's, it's a, we love blockbusters that are good. You we know? sure do, Christian. We sure do love that. <laughs> and the just being able to sit in that theater and have the sound like vibrate my seat be able to be in that theater and actually feel like oh wow like tom cruise is giving a really good performance it's not just this like a it's, it's not just a movie star performance he's actually trying in this movie um it's not just action the action's phenomenal it it's it's wonderful that we get to experience the 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 mission so many times before the actual mission comes through it's really nice, and now it, it it's like checking off all the boxes for we must include shirtless men playing volleyball in jeans. Hey, 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 dogfight football, Christian. Come on, dogfight football, and they're wearing shorts this time, okay? <laughs> they're jean shorts. Oh, boy. Wait, no, 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 Tom Cruise is actually wearing jeans, I think. <laughs> he might be. I, 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 I don't know, but it's like we, we must include a, a, a major song by by uh, a band people seem to like we got a little lady gaga we got a little one republic we got it all and it's it's almost like it's so obvious why a movie that includes these things would it would be this successful or be this enjoyable and yet movies have lost that over the years in trying to overcomplicate that whereas this just simplified it down and said we have a good movie star we have a good song. We don't need to dissect the song. We don't need to dissect the movie star. We don't need to convolute this script. We can make it incredibly simple. And uh, Paramount's making a lot of money right now. Paramount sure is making a lot of money right now. Top Gun Maverick is first movie in a while to break a billion at the global box office. And depending on how COVID goes over the next, you know, Obviously, we're in a strange time when it comes to COVID, but uh, how that affects the box office, it might be the only one for a while, um, depending on... Black other... Panther, Wakanda, forever yeah. coming out? Yep, that could be another big one. So, 
we shall see. But I, I think, you know, I really hope Hollywood learns lessons from this movie. Hollywood studios are obviously constantly trying to steal from each other, uh, sometimes very poorly, sometimes very well. And what I hope that they realize is that the biggest movie of this year is not a big uh, effects-driven sci-fi movie that uh, featured a bunch of VFX artists who were worked to the bone and featured rushed and almost in incomplete work, but rather, like you said, it relied on excellent performances from a, from a movie star leading a cast. It relied on a simple yet incredibly effective script, and it relied on absolute A-plus top-tier filmmaking. It's melodramatic as hell. Right, melodramatic as hell. And relied on that filmmaking uh, to make a damn good movie that didn't rely, again, on, on special effects. And when it did employ them, it did it sneakily. It did it well. <laughs> and it complemented the movie as opposed to overtaking the story. It's a movie that when you rewatch, holds up. Because it's simple. Oh, Absolutely. It's not like a trick that you learn. It's like, no, each time they're on these planes, you're happy. And of course, it features Glenn Powell. And any movie that features Glenn Powell is like, a, it's an immediate three stars for me. We just, you just gotta see how far you can go. Glenn Powell, he, he's the, you know, he's the boy. So shout out to Glenn. I hope he pops off. For me, it was Miles Teller, because I used to not like Miles Teller. And the more that he puts up, the more I'm like, oh, wow. I, I do quite like him in this movie. I He's not as good in, well, I don't know if he's not as good, but I didn't like, I just didn't like Spiderhead as much. The other Miles Teller, oh, Joseph yeah. Kaczynski movie great. from this year. was <laughs> not great. Uh, yeah, so definitely, uh, if you're going to pick one of their collaborations from this year, check out Top Gun Maverick, which if you still haven't seen it, you're in a growing minority. So make sure that you hit the theaters, check it out, or if you're just waiting uh, to avoid that, uh, theater experience for now wait till you can see it at home uh, although I would strongly recommend a theater experience and Christian those are our lists mm -hmm. so why don't you go ahead and give the, the quick rundown for the listeners of your 5 through 1 okay so my number 5 was Top Gun Maverick my number 4 was Fresh my number 3 was Cha Cha Real Smooth my number 2 was 13 Lives and my number 1 was Marcel the Show with shoes on and my number 5 was Emergency number 4 The Northman Number three, The Batman. Number two, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And number one, Top Gun, Maverick. So, Christian, alas, our time is running short and we don't have as much time for all the fun categories I wanted to do, but do want to quickly run down uh, your six through ten. Some of the movies that also really impressed you this year that just quite didn't make the cut. Starting at six or starting at ten? Uh, let's start at... We'll start at six. Okay, so my number six was Bell. I don't... Have you... You've. I'm assuming you've heard of Bell. I've heard of Bell. I have not heard anybody talk about Bell. I just know that it exists. Written so. and directed by Mamoru Hosada. So every single year I have some version of a Japanese movie, a Japanese anime movie that came out technically the previous year but was not released in the U.S. until this year. I think in, in, in 2020 it was... It was Weathering With You, 2021. It was Demon Slayer, Mugen Train, and this year it's Bell, which is a beautiful riff on Beauty and the Beast, but set during um, set during a virtual, an MMORPG. Uh, beautifully, beautifully, beautifully well animated. My number seven is Thor, Love and Thunder, because Christian Bale is amongst the top villains the MCU has ever been able to cast as a performer and honestly i really like the opening scene which set the tone for the rest of the movie for me uh it's a shame they discarded that tone but you know neither here nor there <laughs> my number you want me to rip apart your movies you want me to no i i would fight about thor love and thunder but that's not why we're here christian 
<laughs> number eight is The Northman, uh, which is epic. We talked about it. It's incredibly epic, and I was I enjoyed myself quite a bit watching it. Uh, my number nine is Emergency, which we also talked about. Beautifully, beautifully um, incorporates race and comedy together. I'm excited to see where the director and the writer goes on from here. And my number 10 was After Yang, the new Coconata movie about an android man who is hired to babysit a child and breaks down. And they go into Yang's memories to try and fix him and, and come to just understand who Yang is and who their family is. After Yang is a movie that I was uh, sad to miss. It's definitely on that that list of movies that I should have seen by this point in the year and still have not, so I'll have to catch up with it. Uh, for me, number six, Marcel the Shell with She's On. Totally with you in the love there. It just barely missed the list for me. Uh, my number seven was Turning Red, which, of course, was the object of much controversy for very dumb reasons earlier this year, but, of course, follows a young Canadian girl as she hits puberty and realizes that her family has a curse where... At this time period, they the women turn into giant red pandas, <laughs> and she uh, tries to uh, find a way to get rid of this curse with her mother and her family, while also um, spending time with her friends, and she learns to exploit the panda so they can make money to go see a boy band in concert. But it is a, a movie that did not deserve the controversy it faced. It's really, uh, again, it was really great classic Disney. And, um, is it Pixar? Is Turner a Pixar? Am I it's, crazy? A, it's, a, it's a Pixar movie whose script it is Pixar and theme did not work for me well, that's that is a shame I wish it, uh, you know obviously I enjoyed it quite a bit but uh, I think not only that classic Pixar blend of like comedy and also you're crying by the end of it but I think Domi Shi who's the director here also sees her own life and her own story her own family with a lot of wisdom uh, and I and I really appreciated that uh, especially in um you know, a, a f otherwise fun family movie. Uh, number eight was Nope, Jordan Peele's latest. Uh, certainly my least favorite of the three movies he's made thus far, but, I mean, that's still a pretty high bar. And I was a big fan of this one, Christian. I know that you are not necessarily on the same page, but <laughs> that was my number eight. And then my number nine was Fire Island, which uh, is a, a romantic comedy uh, written by and starring Joel Kim Booster, uh, where he plays a, a young man, or I guess he and his friends, uh, all young gay men, go to Fire Island in New York, which is this vacation destination. It's a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Right? And it's a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> it's just like genuinely, a, you know, just like a fun riff on that story. Um, he is really good in it. I think his script is really great. Uh, directed by Andrew Ahn, I should mention as well. But Bowen Yang plays his best friend, Howie, and they just have a really uh, lovely friendship there. And Bowen Yang is great as just in a more dramatic role, not as funny as he normally is on SNL. Uh, and I really liked Conrad Rickamora too, who plays Will, the love interest for Noah. Um, he just like jumped off the screen. I mean, I can't quite place it, but I've seen other people say the same thing, and I really hope he gets more opportunities. And my number 10, you might laugh, was Chippendale Rescue Rangers. <laughs> Which is not a bad movie. It's it. <laughs> not a bad movie at all, uh, but it's uh, it's a little bit of a riff on Roger uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It is a live action animation hybrid movie where uh, Chip and Dale in the future are no longer friends because of a rift that formed after they ended the actual Rescue Rangers TV show. And when one of their old co-stars goes missing, they have to join together again to find out what happened to him. Uh, John Mulaney and Andy Samberg play Chip and Dale. I'm not sure if I got that respectively or backwards, but they both give really fun vocal performances. It's just a really funny movie, like tons of jokes throughout. And definitely not without its blemishes, but I'm just a real sucker for that. I obviously did our live action and, and animation hybrid genre blend of the month last year. So I was just a big fan. That was my number 10 
And Christian, with that, that might be our show. Unless you want to mention anything else about 2022, the year so far. Any final movies you want to throw out? Movies you missed? Anything? Letdowns of the year? No. Let's just move on to the rest of the year. It's time to move on to the rest of the year, folks. So, please, at this point, if we did not mention a movie that you loved, please let us know. We'd love to know your thoughts on top five movies of the year so far. We'd love to shout those out on the podcast, anything that we missed especially. But, of course, here on the Cinema Drip Podcast, we got to move into our August blend of the month. Uh, For new listeners of the show, if we don't know, we cover a new blend every month, just like a rotating blend of coffee beans. How about that? where we cover a specific theme and we'll look at usually three movies in that theme and then do a bonus episode at the end that ties it all together. Uh, could be a filmmaker, could be an actor, could be a subgenre, or it could be something a little bit funkier like live action animation hybrid. <laughs> so uh, what we'll be looking at this month is inspired by a new release and it is a movie coming out this Friday, although I regret to inform you, Christian, it is not 13 Lives. My apologies. But the movie coming out this Friday is one of my most anticipated movies of the year, if listeners of the show recall from our top five most anticipated movies of 2022 that we did at the beginning of the year. That movie is Bullet Train, starring Brad Pitt and directed by David Leach, who is one of the, the he's one of the most emerging voices in Hollywood action movies. Uh, he is a part of the brain trust that created the John Wick franchise. He has participated in superhero movies, making Deadpool 2, and he has uh, been around Hollywood, been in movies as a, not just an actor and director, but also a stunt person, stunt coordinator, behind the scenes. Uh, he's been in Hollywood forever, and his movies are typically well-received, especially by action fans. And so I want to take this time to take a closer look at some of his movies. And we'll be kicking it off with Bullet Train, which of course is coming out the day that this episode drops, August 5th. So we'll be checking it out and then uh, sharing our thoughts next week. Uh, Christian, got to ask, what are your feelings going into this month? I'm incredibly excited for Bullet Train. There we go. Hey, excited for Bullet Train. There's a movie that you have that I know nothing about. I just know the title. And then there's another movie that we're going to watch, which I have seen. And I think it's the epitome of This is Fine. Which is? Do you want me to say it? Uh, no, I guess we'll save it. I'm, I... <laughs> so we'll see We'll see what Christian's reaction to those are. Um, there's no really point in hiding it because he doesn't have a ton of movies to work with. So the other movies we'll be watching are John Wick and Atomic Blonde. And then we'll be coming in at the end of the month to talk about some of our favorite action movies of the 2010s. So should be a fun month just enjoying some, some well-done, well-put-together action movies. And we'll start with Bullet Train, which our fingers are crossed that it is well-done and well-put-together. It could be terrible. It's a new release. We're going to find out here live on the show. And speaking of the show, that is our show. Uh, if you have reached this point in the episode, of course, you reached the end. So thank you so much for listening. It's great to be back. And we enjoyed talking about some of our favorites of the year so far with you. There are a few things that you can do to support the podcast, and it helps us grow and reach new listeners, so we would sincerely appreciate it. Number one, go ahead and subscribe and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're pretty much anywhere you can get your podcasts. And those subscriptions and reviews go a long way in helping us reach new listeners. You can also send us your thoughts and your feedback on the show to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Whether you want to tell us, hey, why did you leave RRR off of your top five list of the year so far? It's because I didn't watch it yet and I'm a terrible cinephile. Uh, or if you wanted to mention another movie that we missed or something that you agree with us about. Or maybe you think Top Gun sucks and we're crazy. Man, you're wrong. But hey, send us an email. We'd love to know your thoughts. Cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, and Christian is on Instagram, and the both of us are on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the movies that we're watching. I'm a huge Letterboxd proponent. I feel like I haven't talked about it in a while. It's like a social network for watching movies. 
writing reviews, making lists, tracking the things you watch. It's a great time. They've got an excellent app. So check it out if you want to join us in the discussion there. I'm still waiting for the day that somebody comments on one of my reviews and is like, I'm a listener of the show and this review is terrible. Or maybe, you know, you want to say it's great. I don't know. But still waiting for that day. Christian, you're kind of on again, off again with Letterboxd. Where are you guys at these days? You okay? Your relationship? You know, you... I, I'm always logging. So I mean, I don't always <laughs> write reviews, but I'm always logging when I'm watching. Yeah, it's true. You're 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 good at logging. You're a better man than me because you log without the pathological need to review, which is what I have. I need to go see someone. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, folks. We got Bullet Train coming up next week, so go check that out at your local cinema. And we'll, our episode for it will be dropping in a week. And hey, until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>